Hello and welcome to episode 130 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy. With me, my co-host, Matthew Schultz. Matthew, how are you? Good. Always a good idea to turn off your cell phone when you start recording a podcast. (laughs) Just had a chime in the background there. Did you hear last week the like screaming in the background? Yeah, I think a little bit. Somebody seemed to be losing, I'm guessing. Or winning. I don't know. <laughs> That's true. <It laughs> there are no the losers same. in this house. Yeah. It's like C3PO. And now you understand why PewDiePie is popular. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So you are actually a pretty witty guy, and your tweets at times are laugh out loud funny. I remember a couple of months ago, my wife was like, did you read Matthew's tweet about the Cheeto? <laughs> Do you remember this? I don't even remember it. Wait, wait. No, it was I don't. something I about don't. removing the fork from your cheese-dusted lips or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. It was very eloquent and very, very funny. <laughs> I like to paint a picture with my words. Yeah, you're like, well, I mean, you can program, so I, it makes sense that you're also a pretty, you know, good writer. Yeah, I suppose the two go hand in hand. I do. Yeah, it does language. take a while. Yeah, I figure if someone's going to take the time to read it, I might as well make it worth re- reading. Yeah, and you succeed. So I actually, I'll stalk you like once a week because your tweets get lost in the, you know, the madness. Yeah. And you had this funny, really strange tweet about, <laughs> I believe, like mice in your attic or something along those lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, <laughs> and the story ended with it was actually just rain. Yes. Um. So there's a lot, there's a lot of setup for this. Um. I don't actually have the tweet <laughs> in front of me, Uh. but I was up. Um, for far too long, uh, with the impression that I was hearing at least 20 or so mice crawling in our attic, in our house, we have vaulted ceilings. So there's not much clearance inside the, uh, the attic of our home. And, uh, we do have, there is something scurrying up there, but it's always been one thing and it every once in a while makes an appearance, um, and just reminds us that it's up there. It's never in the house, um, so I'm beginning to suspect it's a bird. That's my most recent theory. Um, have no idea how it got up there, um, just because of the layout of everything. Not sure what happened, but yeah, a couple, a uh, couple of, a uh, couple nights ago, um, I just start hearing this flurry um, up there, and I'm just like, I'm panicking. My wife's asleep. <laughs> And I already couldn't sleep. And then in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to commit like a little bit of uh, genocide and like kill whatever's like, there's a family of them now and I'm going to have to kill them all. And the blood's going to be on my hands and this is going to be awful. And I waited, why did I wait? And just like my head's spinning and it's like, this is, this is horrible, horrible. Um, And then eventually uh, the acoustical um, sound I realize is, is behind me where the headboard is. And our, our, uh, house has two sliding glass doors. If you can believe that for some reason, one in the bedroom. And then now I'm just making it so someone can just totally break into my house or something. But, um, so we have the headboard against the one in the bedroom because it just kind of, it only makes it so that we can't put anything there. So by putting the bed there, it's like, Oh, we've got all this space now. And I had forgotten that I had recently installed some polycarbonate paneling and so what was happening was this this uh, rain, this little pitter-patter of rain, it wasn't a heavy rain, it was just a light rain, but there had been a collection of 
of uh, tree leaves that had uh, collected <laughs> above on top of the po- uh, the polycarbonate, and so it just made this scurrying noise. Um, and so I I finally was like, it's outside, and so I flipped around on the bed and then pulled open the drapes and was staring outside uh looking up at the polycarbonate and going they're in they're maybe they're just on the roof <laughs> i'm just like they've got to be on the roof and i look and i'm like starting to see the leaves move and i'm like oh my god okay they're they're not in they're not in the house i'm gonna do this right where's it's, my knife so yeah so i go outside i'm like ready to just you know figure out what it is like jump jump out and like get them on tape or something and like aha um, i'm gonna own you mice right so i house. open the door and i'm instantly just humbled and realize <laughs> oh it's rain <laughs> and so you, so your tweet was no stream tonight i've got to catch up on sleep last night i couldn't sleep i thought at least a dozen mice were in the attic it was rain <laughs> And that made me laugh really hard, just like your story. Oh. And then, and then, and then I don't understand. <laughs> what is it about Californians and rain? Like, I've heard stories where, like, if, like, I live in Wisconsin, you live in California, and that's, I think we figured it's like 2,000 miles apart or something. Yeah. So we like, we practically live in different countries. And so this has always baffled me. Like I've heard like if it's raining, people like don't drive. They don't go to the grocery store. They like just stay in their house and wait for it to stop raining. Oh, yeah. Well, um, what happens is just people just especially the driving (laughs) thing. It's 100 percent true because we just don't it doesn't happen that often. And it's like, you know, you hear about Californians in snow as well um, when they especially if they move to a new state. It's all I read about because I'm considering eventually moving to Idaho. I'm looking looking at different states and stuff. And all you hear is Idaho. You know, they're just complaining about Californians when it snows and how they just can't figure out how to drive in the snow. Um, but the rain, it'll rain and the, the streets will slick up. And it's just like people just forget that you're supposed to not drive as fast as normal when you're going down a hill in the rain as, as in, you know, and so you just end up with all these like fender benders and stuff uh, once it rains. Um, <laughs> is there not like, like sewers and stuff in California? Oh, there, there is, but I, I do think part partially it's like eventually there's like a collection of oil, like uh-huh. on the top layer of the, of the um roads and so that gets wet and then it makes it a little bit of slick i that's my like out for the what ends up happening but it's always really it's it, it is <laughs> the embarrassing roads get deadly chris i swear <laughs> it's it's covered <laughs> in california oil. roads are different than everywhere They're covered else. in oil um, okay but, so it's not the rain itself i mean well you know i guess people confused yeah so like I don't know. It's That's just so funny a, to me. You know, like, it's, it's always your mind doesn't degrees. go to. I wonder if it's rain. Your well, mind goes to. I'm gonna. <laughs> there's, a, there's a litter of mice, and I must destroy them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was already going through the moral compromise in my head of of uh, what it was gonna look like in the end, and I'm like, well, the bloodbath. Exactly. <laughs> I still don't know what's up there, but I I actually. Um, I have a goodwill find that'll uh, that can kind of ties into this. We can we can hop back to because um, uh, I I want to see what you've been up to. Um, okay, 
I just had to hear the rain story because you kind of teased it, and that's yeah. really funny. You're a much better storyteller than I am. I hope so. I hope that wasn't the most boring thing ever. But. No, everybody that doesn't live in California is going to find it funny. <laughs> well, that's great. I have a real live California on the line here. This right. doesn't happen every day. Afraid in California, go these, ahead. You're these on the line. strange aliens. <laughs> <laughs> these <laughs> these people from another land where it never rains. Uh, but when it does, it's mice. It's 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 end times. <laughs> yeah, right. So speaking of end times, you and I have noticed after the show, if we have enough time, we'll usually chat for a couple of minutes, maybe say some things off the record that we might not say on the record or just catch up on personal, you know, notes. We don't talk too much, but Monday's kind of our day. Yeah. And we've noticed in the past that there is a lot of Implant Games content on the website Daily Motion. Daily Motion is, of course, a video hosting website that is not very popular. Um, when, uh, to give some historical perspective, I think it was back in 2013, maybe 2012, YouTube had a big update to their algorithm to kind of avoid people milking the system. So, what a lot of people would do is they on a popular video, this is back when you could easily see the tags people would put on their video, people would copy all of the tags, copy the title of the video, and then have like a thumbnail of usually a scantily clad woman, and they would just make some bullshit two-minute video, and it would get a ton of clicks because it was basically gaming the system because um, the algorithm was matching the tags, the title, and then in combination of the thumbnail, it would get a lot of clicks, even though it was, you know, worthless content. And so because of that type of thing, they made a big change to the algorithm to reward retention. And this is why I tend to make fewer videos, but I make longer, better videos because it plays better to the algorithm as it exists today in 2018. And this hurt a lot of YouTubers that made genuine content. And one of those was Classic Game Room. And he was, his views back when you could actually see what it looked like back then, like they dropped probably 75% over the course of like two months. Yeah, so imagine going from like 30 million views a month to like 4 million views a month, like something insane like that over the course of a couple of months. And Mark is not, uh, Mark is one that is willing to try different platforms and try different business models um, more easily than other people. And he left YouTube and went on daily motion for a couple of months and it didn't really work out for him. And he came back to YouTube, but that website that he chose still exists, but it doesn't seem to be anything on it except for, as far as I can tell, at least as far as video game content goes, um, because between Twitch and YouTube, I don't really know many gamers that put their content elsewhere because there's no audience. But if you go on Daily Motion and search for Implant Games, all you will find you will find content that I didn't post there. And now, for the most part, it's not worth my time to you know do anything about it because nobody watches it. So there's really not much of a I don't know. It's not worth my time, I guess would be the way to say it. Yeah. However, I think once in a while I'll do a Google search or a Bing search for implant games just to see what that first page looks like. 
And lo and behold, my Sonic the Hedgehog 2006 review on Daily Motion actually made that first page, and it kind of annoyed me. So I clicked on the video, and it was uploaded by, I assume, a bot. I think that was your theory, is that there are bots that exist that basically download a YouTube video and then upload it to Daily Motion, and that's all it does. Yeah, uh, it's... You know, it's got them, they're making pennies a video most likely, but you do that in mass um, and it starts to add up, I'm sure. Yeah. It's like the movie Office Space, right? Where a fraction of a penny turns into millions of dollars really quickly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to report it and see what it looks like to report a video for copyright infringement. So at the bottom, I'm sure this exists on YouTube as well. I'm sure it's not that hard. So I went on the video on Daily Motion. That's my 40 minute video not some sort of react video nothing it's like literally my video so i clicked report and fumbled through the copyright infringement claim and basically said this is my video this is where i host it i am the copyright holder i have not given anyone permission to redistribute this please remove it immediately and then about 20 to 30 minutes later it got a what i assume is an automated email from daily motion and it was removed well, I mean, are you going to kind of, do you think you're going to have to babysit it and, and check it out? I and, think Daily Motion is dead and I probably won't do that very often. Right. <laughs> so it was more kind of an experiment to see what the process was like. And Yep, exactly. Yeah. So I assume there must have been some sort of manual review because otherwise, you know, that could obviously be exploited pretty quickly. Um, but it's funny because... One of the thing, because this is like a legal email that I got in return, basically saying we're a French company and we follow French copyright laws. Therefore, we cannot be held liable. You know, basically saying we didn't infringe on your copyright. Somebody else did the user. And I found it really weird that they put so much emphasis on this, that we are a French company. We follow French laws. We did not infringe. Somebody else infringed, but we'll still remove the video. It was just very strange to me. Right. And it's, it's strange too, because there are a lot of treaty law ties into like it, that's the yeah. way that other countries get other countries to follow their rules as well. Um, and so uh, that's, that is really strange that they kind of, this is what there wasn't, there wasn't a, Oh, we apologize. Right. There wasn't, Oh, you know, we have something in place to prevent this user from continuing to do. There was nothing like that at all. It was very, much a we are not guilty <laughs> but we'll take it down <laughs> but it just like gave me a bad taste like why the hell would anybody upload to daily motion right i don't it's like a it's the whole i bet you you could take any somewhat popular youtuber pluck it into daily motion and one of these bots has uploaded it there yeah well what was it was it vidme was that the one that went down recently yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, Daily Motion and that site both have kind of a grimy feel to it. They they don't really <laughs> the editorial process on on because uh, YouTube, for instance, very clearly um, has an editorial thumb on trending and, and those kinds of things that you see yeah. if you just come to YouTube. And and that's very intentional. Um, but it seems like those like daily motion and uh vidme that's now gone they just don't seem to understand the the value of that kind of first impression and you know daily motion you mentioned like the the girl thumbnails but that's really commonplace that anytime i've come across 
Daily Motion, however it was, it was always like the the front page just kind of had a little too much stuff <laughs> that made it seem like, wow, this is, you know, if you squint enough, this looks like a different kind of website. Um, <laughs> this it, looks like YouTube circa <laughs> 2012. Right. So it, but I think maybe, maybe the reason why Daily Motion is around still is, is because they don't necessarily have to follow so much of uh certain certain countries co- copyright laws although i always thought that france had stricter um kind of measures for that kind of stuff but maybe i guess not i don't know yeah anyway they weren't sorry so then i complained <laughs> about it on twitter because <laughs> i thought it was weird oh man well that's what you do that's what twitter's there for you yeah. <laughs> always there friendly then, yeah someone commented i didn't even know they still existed <laughs> Like nobody does. Oh man. So yeah. So the uh, Goodwill find that I came across was a uh, uh, security camera system. Um, normally they roll around two hundred dollars, and I was able to pick one up for twelve. Uh, nice. And yeah, it's got enough for four cameras. And so my master plan here to figure out what the heck's going on in our attic is to set this thing up. Throw a cam- so you can spy on those yes. mice. Throw up some IR or, cameras Or, you know what you could do? You could put one, like, outside, and then you'll know when it's raining. Exactly. I'll I'll be able to... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll burns, let it go. These burns. This is never ending. Um, but yeah, so that's the plan. That's the plan. I want to catch them in action. And then I guess I can release the terror on on twitter i'll put up a, a video or something and share my <laughs> my uh but i susp- i really want it to be a bird please be a bird not not a rat or something along those lines there's been abs there's nothing in our house so they're just up in the attic is that a metal roof or is it a do they have well, no roofs in california is that a thing it's um yeah i mean in like industrial buildings and things like that but this is uh the the it's in a like an adobe style uh mm looking uh roof and yeah. the only entry points are from tile kata yeah like exactly that? like terracotta like, yeah tile but i think yeah tile kata or something like that is what they call it but um there's only one entrance into our attic and that is uh the there's the uh breathing holes that are normally like on the sides of a of maybe it's peak. bats maybe you have a bat it could be but i suspect they're just you know going in in Although you'd think you'd hear them in the day more. I don't, I don't know, man. It, it'll, it's a mystery and I'm kind of scared to find out, but it's one of, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta deal with it, you know? So we'll see. All then right. I'll, then I'll know the, uh, the attack route. How do I <laughs> This deal is going to be like the best. I can't wait for next episode. I hope something amazing happens. <laughs> it's going to be about how I <laughs> fell through our vaulted ceilings and broke oh, my leg. No. <laughs> oh man. So you have another Sonic video out. So yeah, so I finished the Sonic the Hedgehog 2006 video that was stolen and uploaded to Daily Motion. (laughs) This one actually stressed me out a little bit. Um, Usually for a video of this length, I would take three weeks instead of two. But with the way January played out, I needed to, I didn't have three weeks to finish it because I wanted to make sure I got a second video out for January for the patrons. Um, So I, because I charged, uh, I guess it works by the month, not the video, which is something I didn't really think of, you know, two years ago, but it would make more sense to do it by the video in hindsight. But I took a day off of work. I took a Monday off of work and um, I woke up at six o'clock in the morning and I just worked on the video for 11 hours straight and got it done. 
And I was a little nervous about releasing it on a Monday. Usually I like to release them at the head of the weekend because in my mind, people have more time to watch videos and maybe the video will do better. Um, but I released it on a Monday evening and there seemed to be zero punishment for that at all, which I was kind of surprised. It's interesting. I've always tried to crack uh, when I was doing videos, I was always trying to crack what what time and what day, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's got to be a sweet spot. I don't know. I did it on a Monday at like seven o'clock and within 48 hours I had 10,000 views. So yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's way better than the average video. So I know a lot of people talk about, you know, releasing videos at a certain times, certain days, consistency, blah, blah, blah. But I have to be honest, so far in my experience, it doesn't matter if it's a Monday or a Sunday or a Friday afternoon. It, it just doesn't seem to matter. Or at least I'm not able to, you know, put analytics to the release date and identify some sort of sweet spot. Right. However, one thing I did notice is that for that particular video, 47% of the views were by people under the age of 25. Uh, and I mean, therefore, I mean, that explains the, uh, the, the growing view count. You've, you've mm -hmm. got to think that there's more <clears throat> young folk watching, uh, watching videos than there would be older. And, uh, for no number of reasons, um, and so that, you know, you tar target, um, that kind of audience and you're going to get, you're going to get a higher view count. It definitely seems that way. So I went back and I looked at the last Atari 2600 video that I made, which was five Nintendo games on the Atari 2600 and only 13% of the viewers were under 25. And that video has a fraction of the amount of videos that Sonic 06 has. So I'm coming away thinking that a huge, vast majority of the YouTube audience is under 25. I think that's safe. I think that's safe to, you know, and trending once. I mean, if you want to know where the majority of the audience is, you know, log out of YouTube or use a fresh browser. Oh, yeah. And there just you go. open it go up and uh, <laughs> go, is this targeted towards me? And, you know, how old am I? And uh, if you think, well, this is for younger, uh, younger audience, then... Uh, I mean, your answer is right there, really. So we talk about that. Uh, I guess we kind of talk about that. You know, 2008 was a long time ago. And, you know, I was under 25 10 years ago. And I am no longer under 25. But I don't know where I was going with that. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't, th I can't, yeah. It doesn't really make any sense to keep making videos like they were made in 2008. Because those people have kids in the house and <laughs> don't watch forty-minute videos. Exactly. I mean, I'm I'm the guy in this podcast that's struggling for for time and and uh, you know to to play games and and uh, you know that that's it's just it's just what happens. Um, and uh, so I think it's smart to to aim. Are for you that. saying you did not watch my forty-minute video? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know you did not. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's just difficult to, to, to keep going on that. But I think there's that weird effect that it happens. It's like, I mean, you see, you see people, you see people, uh, there's something about their past. And I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later too, but there's something that they sort of, uh, 
that's the thing that they're going to sort of remember about being young. And, uh, there's, there's a large, there's a somewhat of an, an audience that, that exists that are, you know, uh, becoming adults when it comes to video games. And so, um, it's easy to see some kind of positive reinforcement when you're producing videos and say, look, I'm talking to this guy and this guy. And like, there's, there's people out there. Um, but I think there's a, there's a vocal group of people that are in that sort of nostalgia. And, um, but then there's the people that are in this sort of more of the consumption side of things. And that's your younger, your younger audience. They're, they're just now, um, remembering, I guess you could say they're finally old enough to have nostalgia. Exactly. I think that's, I think that's a big factor in it for a bad game like Sonic 06. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh gosh. Yeah. I'll so, get to, do you, I, I mean, I don't want to rag on, on the fans or anything, but do you, do you, uh, your takes on the Sonic games, are you getting, um, positive reception or are you finding if it's negative, no matter what, there's some segment of the, the fandom that loves that particular game and is willing to, uh, hurl insults I, at you. No. Well, if you get, so Sonic 06 has 16,000 views. Okay. It has 17 dislikes. So that means one in a thousand people press the dislike button. Yeah. So I think it's okay. And then that's 603 likes. So I wish that was more, but there's not really much I can do about it. But I feel like I am doing a okay job of hitting a good objective sweet spot where I can present information honestly and most people won't get butthurt about it. Yeah. Are there people that say I'm an idiot? Yeah. Are there people that, you know, make fun of the way I pronounce words? Yeah. Are there people that, yeah, just hate the content to the very core? Absolutely. But another thing you'll find too is that some people that you think are trolls keep watching every video and you're like, I don't even know if this guy's serious or if he's trying to be funny. Yeah. Yep. I would say I would not complain about the comments, no. It mm. seems it's mostly positive. That's good. Yeah, I when I was doing a series of videos way back in the day that was all related on comic books, and that's a pretty toxic audience. But I, I noticed the same phenomena where you would have um, sort of you'd have these people say something, and you're like, "Wow, that was really hurtful." And then they <laughs> and then they'd be there next week commenting, and it would be you know almost like uh like schizophrenia or something where it'd be completely different uh response, mm-hmm. and you're like wow I don't understand what's going on here, but okay, <laughs> it's nice talking. I to guess you. yeah I yeah I feel you I don't yeah you know I guess YouTube is one of the places where nobody is really themselves still. Like Twitter's most, I'd say what, half the people are their real names and half the people aren't. And then you move on to like a Facebook group and, you know, it's 95% of the people are themselves and, you know, 5% have some sort of fake account. But YouTube is still kind of like the Wild West where, you know, people hide behind a name and say whatever they feel like. Yeah, it. you're getting the, the like AOL <laughs> chat room effect or like the Yahoo chat. Or the Reddit crowd or something along something those lines. Like yeah. 
No, I, you know, maybe I'm just getting used to it. I don't know. You do something enough times and, you know, you build up a thick skin for it and, you know, learn from past mistakes. That's why I play a lot of these games twice and don't record the first playthrough, um, you know, just to make sure there's an extra layer of validity and skill to what I'm saying. And it's not me just sucking it. Yeah. Think about that famous video of that guy, you know, playing the Cuphead tutorial. <laughs> Did you ever yeah. see that? Yeah. He could not figure out that he needed to jump on a platform and then jump dash yeah. to get over the taller pillar. Like he just wasn't wired to be like, oh, I stand high on this pillar, then jump dash to get over that area. And I feel really bad for that guy. This is why I don't live stream. Because <laughs> you see a lot of lousy play, especially when I'm learning a game. Yeah. But uh, I guess if you like take that, you know all those experiences I don't take notes on, I don't record. So I feel like perhaps that doing it the hard way is also working to my benefit as well. Yeah. I think there's a lot of honesty that's very transparent in your reviews. And I think that even if they can't, if people can't tell what's going on, it's, it's there and, and they can like, they sense it, whether they're aware of it or not. And I, I think I've seen in your comments in particular, people recognize when it's their game, they they'll say it in the comments and they'll recognize that like you clearly played the game. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it, it does shine through. I, I think, think I, and other- I hope that the future of YouTube is not let's plays is not rant videos is not react videos is not people screaming at the camera i hope and i'm betting on the future of youtube being something a little more thoughtful and i hope i'm right i don't think you're wrong i think it's disney i think that that what the more that the advertisers speak up about what they don't want their ads on the cleaner the the place is going to get and I think that, um, you know, the, the more buttoned up, uh, in some ways, um, that the more that that's, you know, not to say that you're like squeaky clean or anything like that, but just that the, um, there's a certain, um, there's a certain result that, that is going to happen as, as, uh, as these uh, changes start to come through that YouTube's making. And, and, uh, I think part of it is going to be that the, the people who make videos where they're not ha- reaching for the mute button because their kids in the room every five <laughs> seconds, um, will see their, those efforts rewarded a bit more. And that's one thing I, I'll be totally honest. I'm struggling with, um, uh, you know, listening to, if I put a podcast on and I'm, I'm in the living room with my, my little girl or something like that, you know, she's starting to, to pick up words and stuff. And, um, I wouldn't have cared before, but now suddenly I'm, I'm not watching certain content anymore just because, it's like, well, I don't want, I don't want that around right now. <laughs> and so it does, it absolutely impacts what I'm playing, uh, on YouTube and I'm finding myself skipping videos and even unsubscribing just because I just, I don't want to deal with it, you know, right now. So it's interesting. I'll be curious. I'm, you know, I'll be curious a year from now, you know, what everything looks like and what my theories will be, what our theories will be. So speaking of being honest, I know. I was just going to say at the top of the show, this is either going to be like the fastest podcast we've ever done or like it's going to be eight o'clock before we know it. We've barely gotten (laughs) halfway through. (laughs) Oh, man. So honesty. Yes. Do you want to do you want to kind (laughs) of 
Todd Rogers, Mr. Activision. I don't know. You've seen The King of Kong. Yeah. You've seen, I don't know. There's a bunch of these back in 2008 to 2010. Probably three or four of these documentaries about all these guys that were allegedly the best American arcade players of their time. They were like featured in, I don't know, Newsweek or Time Magazine or something. That famous picture. Um, that's where Billy Mitchell comes from and characters like that. Um, and that's the group of people. And they all went on to found <laughs> Twin Galaxies. That's where Todd Rogers comes from. I think he had something like 1,500, 1,700 records, mostly of the Atari 2600. And I believe like ColecoVision or Commodore 64 era of uh, 80s gaming. And... This first, this story begins actually a couple of months ago with a YouTuber named Ben Heck. I'm sure you're familiar with Ben Heck. Yeah. He made two videos with Todd Rogers, who has the world had the world record for the Atari 2600 game called Dragster. Now, from what I gather over the years, it has come to the attention um, like hackers are like, you know, hacking apart ROMs and figuring out how they work. And they determined Todd Rogers world record time of 5.51 seconds is technically impossible. Todd Rogers disagrees and says that, well, no, a machine can't play like a human. That's why it can't get a 5.51. And this first came to me in a two-part episode of the Ben Heck Show, where Ben Heck basically builds a machine that can play Dragster on the 2600. And I think the first episode was him actually building this thing. Basically, it was a computer that would uh, do the inputs for a real Atari 2600. And then the second episode, I want to say Todd Rogers was actually here in Wisconsin uh, with Ben Heck and trying to help Ben with the timings. And they, by the end of part two, they could not get the 5.51. I can't remember if they got a 5.54 or a 5.57, but they definitely didn't get a 5.51. And over the last few weeks or a few months, I've been waiting for part three because it seemed like there was going to be a part three. And part three never came. And then this story kind of broke. I forget the YouTuber's name. I want to say it's Apollo something. I've already forgotten. Yeah. Apollo Legend, who does some YouTube videos on this, um, basically made this really well put together, you know, show or episode of his channel where he calls out Todd Rogers and kind of traces the history, you know, from the 80s to the present and says that Todd Rogers is a liar, is a cheater. And then a few days later, whoever owns Twin Galaxies now not only took down the 2600 uh, dragster world record, they took away every single record he owns. So Todd Rogers, again, we talk about he comes from this weird 80s. I shouldn't say weird. That's not very accurate. He comes from this clique of 80s arcade gamers that were famous um, in the 80s and had a resurgence, you know, with the Internet and uh, independent documentaries. Um, He actually won a Guinness World Record for having the most video game records. And all of that is now gone. I, Every single one of them. I I hate speaking ill on people because I like to live by example. But can you imagine? Ah, I don't want to leave. I don't want to hurl insults. But so you're this guy's wife, 
And you're like, well, you know, it's kind of kooky. He's got all these video game records and it's like, you know, he's, and then you find out it's just nothing. And I'm sure he has other accomplishments in his life, but I, I don't understand. I think what happens is it's a lie. You tell yourself it's okay. And you get hooked on it and you just keep going. And you know, it sounds like with the Twin Galaxies things, the the uh, it's it's kind of crazy the the way that it was working with the um, at the time the referees or whatever you want to call them, the judges, uh, and the kind of system that he had developed. And and at one point he's entering in his own scores, you know, and it's just it's just really scummy, and it just you know it's it's hard. What what it does to Twin Galaxies is to me it it makes it. They were the they were the guys, you know. They were they're the ones the that world's are world's record keeper or whatever, right? And so they've got a they've got a lot of damage control that they're going to have to deal with. Um, you, you know, you had mentioned that it's new ownership, but uh, it still calls into question a lot of those prior records. And they're I'm oh sure, yeah, for I'm sure, sure that um, I'm sure this is going to be a thing now. And it's just um, I don't know, man. It, I I don't I don't understand the appeal of something like this, and I think especially when you're doing something that's a medium like this, you're going to get caught. Like it's going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, we, Bill, Billy Mitchell is, a, is another person that we're going to be talking about, but it, it doesn't, you know, I don't know, man. I just, what, what do you think about all this? What do you think is in the mindset it, of somebody who's doing this? Well, I've played over the last few, not few years, Prior to the last few years, I did two competitive style things. I played the Pokemon trading card game and I raced go-karts. And in both sports, there was absolutely cheating going on. Pokemon was, yeah, it was, people would just cheat. It was kind of, re, it was ridiculous. I remember I basically, when I played Pokemon, the trading card game, I didn't trust anybody sitting across from me. Um, all I would do when it was their turn is I would be watching their hands and their cards. I would be making sure that they weren't taking two cards from their deck instead of one. I would be making sure damage counters on the Pokemon were not disappearing, getting moved. I would make them reflip their coin or reflip their, like I would make people reflip their coin if it didn't go over at least three times per the rules, because you can get pretty good at flipping a plastic coin and having it land on the same spot every time. Same with dice. If the dice wasn't, didn't land flat, I would call a judge. Like it was just ridiculous. Yeah. Every, I played it to a T and I remember this one time it was so strange. This isn't, this person didn't cheat on purpose, but this was a best of three. So you played three games over the course of 60 minutes, you know, the best of three wins or, you know, there was a tie or, you know, if you won your first game and the second game didn't finish, well, you have a win. So you won the round. And, um, I remember winning the first round and then my opponent you know, we played another game and he won the second round and we both sort of noticed at the same time that he wasn't playing with enough cards because most people, 
you play Pokemon with 60 cards. So when most people, what they will do to try and make their cards random is they'll start their shuffle by making six piles in front of them. And then you put your cards, you know, one at a time through all six piles. And when you're done, every pile has 10, you know, and you, it's easy to make sure you still have 60 cards and, you know, your deck is in theory more random. And I noticed that he didn't end on the sixth pile. He ended on the fourth pile, which meant that he was missing two cards from his deck. And we both noticed it at the exact same time. Like, you don't have 60 cards, do you? He's like, no. And two random cards happened to be in his box. And, um, it put me in a really weird spot because I'm just looking at him. I'm like, you just didn't, you didn't play by the rules that win is not valid and it's not real. And he wasn't about to concede the game, even though I played with 60 cards and he played with 58. And after I actually had a friend sitting next to me just by luck. And I'm like, dude, what would you do if you were in my position? And he's like, you got to call a judge. So I called the judge and the guy cross from me i could tell he was just pissed sorry if you have kids listening he was livid and um he just couldn't believe that i was calling a judge over and he kind of had he had this air of superiority about him like i hang out with the cool kids i hang out with people that have won national championships and regional championships who are you to be questioning my integrity don't you know who i am and i don't really care who you are to be right because that's how i am you know i i don't care if you're the most famous pokemon player in the world I'm not going, you know, I didn't cheat and you did, even if it was by accident. But eventually the judge came over and um, because he didn't play by the rules of having a 60 card deck, he got a game loss, unfortunately, and he was pretty pissed about it for the rest of the event. And um, yeah, I think so. I know that doesn't quite tie in exactly, but I think these guys have that same error uh, aura of superiority that my Pokemon player had that day. They had this aura of I'm above the rules and I don't care if I didn't play with 60 cards and only played with 58. Who are you, you know, to question or invalidate this victory? Right. And and I get, think that's how an, they are. So I don't think Todd Rogers wakes up every day thinking I'm a cheater. I just think he wakes up every day thinking, well, I'm the greatest Activision player ever. Nobody should be allowed to question me. And I think that blinds some people's judgment. Yeah. I just, I, I, I don't know. You know, I've in different things I've, I've been accused of, of cheating, but always a little like, are it, you cheating at eBay? <laughs> right. That's how it works. Um, if it, if it worked like that, I would do it, but, uh, <laughs> I'll cheat for money. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man. But, um, you know, little things like, uh, um, yeah, like in the Cub Scouts, there's like a little competition that they set up and everything. And, and, um, I was just, it was, it was some stupid paper airplane thing. And I don't even know how you could cheat with making paper airplanes and stuff. But, uh, I just was, I was the paper airplane guy. Um, and so I was just really good at doing that kind of stuff. And it was little things like that back, back in the day. Um, did you cheat at the boxcar racer? <laughs> no, no, I was the, I was the, the, the guy who forgot to get his bike, uh, all ready for the, uh, the parade and get it all decked out and everything. And so I was, I was the, the boy scout or that was just like the forgetful one. 
<laughs> but um, I I can't imagine you know, really doing something like that. Um, I, you know, I think there's always that like little kid moment where you realize that you can break the rules and not get caught. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's something that everyone kind of experiences, but I think it's what you do after that, that, that really makes, makes, makes you who you are. And I just, uh, I don't know, you know, you're, you're taking, especially with what Rogers was doing when you look into it and, and how he was taking away other people's records by doing yeah, this. That's true too. He was, he was taking away other people's earned, you know, times it's, it's, I, uh, I mean, I can't believe he went on the Ben Heck show to try and defend his, you know, impossible time. Like what was i mean at that point he must just be grasping for straws like please ben heck prove 5.51 is possible like i don't know yeah i mean you just, it might have been he didn't know quite the conditions of what he was going in for like on the show or how it was going to play out um so it's possible i'm guessing there won't be a part three <laughs> well and the most damning one to me was the uh i can't think of the plane game um but people had hacked the ROM in a way where oh barnstormers yeah barnstorm yeah and and uh where you could fly straight because the thing that that caused the most drag in the game would be dodging and so if you could just fly uh, true and straight you'd get the max possible time in theory and the time that he had put in is impossible period if you had nothing to dodge and the plane just flew straight the number was so ridiculous that it would be, it was literally like, even if you hack the ROM and remove all the enemies and everything, there was just absolutely no way that you were going to get that time. Um, and, and that's where it's like, it, it, it must hit some sort of addict addiction. There's gotta be some sort of positive reward in it for the person to continue to do it in such a way too. And so, in such a big way, um, that's, yeah. And that leads us to, of course, this is going to have a domino effect because obviously, you know, looking back at this group of individuals and how they're hanging on to their youth is almost comical in a way. And I imagine there's going to be a group of hungry young people wanting to show up these old farts and prove, you know, and be like, oh, yeah, you think you're smart? Check this out. You cheated. Right. <laughs> you know, like the, the old guard is, is coming down. And so Billy Mitchell has gotten sucked up on this. And you, for not having much time on your hands, you are about three days ahead of the story. Oh, Oh, I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know how I came ac across it. Um, it's everywhere today. But yeah, you came across this three or four days ago. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I caught wind of it. Um, because the King of Kong has always interested me, and and that was a very moving documentary for me. Yes. Um, it's a great underdog story, and um, you know, there's there is a moment uh where Billy Mitchell knows that that the guy that he's you know that's making his record uh, put, placing it in danger is in in a local restaurant and he just comes in and it's this this part where it's like i think it was showing what kind of character th uh that was driving him i feel like as an individual and it was a uh, like you said i mean it's kind of that flaunting of uh, a sort of power that somebody somebody feels like they have 
And, um, but yeah, I had caught wind of this story and the boards that, that it was being revealed on, uh, where they were figuring out basically that, uh, um, essentially the, his recorded runs for Donkey Kong, he was using, um, a MAME emulator that he had placed inside his arcade machine. It's not clear to me. I, if it, we put in it or if he just <laughs> i mean the footage is crappy it's like on some old you know camcorder from the 80s and yeah it could have been pointed at a computer monitor i mean who yeah. knows or i guess he could have hooked a computer up to an old crt it's yeah. not clear but yeah so billy mitchell's records even the video in the king of kong where he Steve Wiebe gets the record and then a tape mysteriously appears with a better score was not shot on a real arcade machine. It was shot on MAME, which is funny because if you watch that movie, there's like a theme throughout that you need to have a real arcade board unmodified. It needs to be verified by the experts. And, you know, here's this guy holier than thou ignoring all of those rules and, you know, all these obstacles he put in front of Steve Wiebe and he doesn't hold himself to that same standard instead he records mame and when people looked at this frame by frame they realized that the way the graphics were being drawn it does not match the way the arcade machine works and then that snowballs into speculation about what else might be wrong um somebody noted the issues with the points being rewarded on certain items that the points are randomly given they didn't seem so random in his videos and i'm sure they'll find more and more things that are not quite right yeah um i mean gosh <laughs> i'm sure ben heck could build a you know a machine to play the perfect game of donkey kong yeah donkey well that's the interesting thing about donkey kong is there is a random element to it and that's what makes breaking the records on it such an achievement as well um, because there, there's an element of, of randomness to it that, uh, that creates this, you know, you can have a bad run basically. Um, and so that, that, you know, I, I, I just thought he was a jerk, but now he's a cheating jerk, you know? Yeah. It's. Uh, it's very uh, I and I suspect that this is the tip of the iceberg. I, I think, think so too. Dragster for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred has opened Pandora's box. You know, and think about the interest that Twin Galaxies at the time would have in making these records happen. Because every time they did it, they got local coverage. They might have got a segment on the Today Show briefly or whatever it was. And so they, the possibly the same motivation would be there to you know we need a new record we need to be talked about again and and uh, it's definitely putting it every few years twin galaxies is back in the news uh, i don't remember when i last talked about it but i i remember the last time i talked about twin galaxies the website was basically just a landing page and it was the the whole thing has been sold off to other people so the twin galaxies from king of kong is not the same twin galaxies that we see today yeah the database is the same but everything else is different yeah and as we can see a lot of stuff's getting cleared out well and i think uh, yeah i think that's that's a testament to what they're trying to do is is um you know i don't know if there's any value in half of these records like does anybody i mean they have just about every game in there what's the point 
Well, yeah, I think they, they, there's an opportunity Like, I'm sure I could find a game, you and I could find a game and be world record holders. Like, it shouldn't be that hard. But if I get a world record, it's because I game the system, not because I'm excellent. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know what the money is in it, you know? I don't know where the... the, Oh, yeah, how does Twin Galaxies make money? Right, where's, (laughs) where is it? And, you know... Who are these employees? How are they getting paid? (laughs) Even the Guinness Book of World Records, it's like, well, people don't buy books anymore. They can just go to the website. So it's Who like, buys the Guinness Book of World Records? All these questions. You ask the good questions. <laughs> the tough, the tough, I want to know. It turns out they're fake. That they've Who n- buys books? <laughs> right. But Old people. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's cool to get your, and it's actually, you know, you can pick something in there and probably go, you know what, I bet I could break that. Um. But I mean, I, I get the need for a standards body as when it comes to the SRB, right? The existence of a of a review system and a trusted name and in, in video game reviews uh, for for uh, rate age ratings and things like that. And that's you know a self regulated uh, system there. And and they're they're sim- attempting to do the same thing with um, scores. But the minute that that the body itself shows that it's not honest you know you you hear about these judges and things like that and and it doesn't sound like they have any uh you know like a pure review where like say random audits of uh confirmed high scores or something like that to find the bad apples if there are any in in the judges the whole the whole system doesn't make sense and you hit on it from the get-go like unless they're selling a lot of t-shirts or something or hats or magnets like uh, the yeah, the money or investment needed to actually run it properly. I, I don't even think it exists. Do a they, judge, I mean, do you have audit. to do you have to submit like when you submit it for a record, do you have to pay? Because I could see that being a possible yeah. avenue. Yeah, there you go. I I don't. I I have no idea, man. Yeah, but I you know it's it's funny you know you you it it's it mirrors sporting. Uh, you know, it, it, it's good that the, that his records, Todd Rogers, all the records are wiped. They should yeah. be, you know, and, and that's, none that's of what them can be. Yeah. None of it can be trusted. Now right. with Billy Mitchell, some of his records did stand because there is video evidence that they are real and legit. And that's good too. You know, you should only be removing, you know, if there's a legit record, even if he's a scummy guy, it should stand. Of course. Um, you know, it's not a moral, you know, decision or it's, you know, an ethical decision. Yeah. I think it all comes down to legacy, though. I think it's people wanting, you know, when they die to, you know, leave something behind. And, you know, having 1,700 video game records, which is something, well, I guess now people, (laughs) young people have more time. I'm sure someone could burn through and get 1,701 world records if they put their mind to it. But in general, you know, that was something that was going to live with him forever. And now it's been taken away and now he has no legacy. Well, for Billy Mitchell, that was his game. Hot sauce. Well, yeah, but that no, was just that was his game, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was that was it. That's. <laughs> and now he's like forty third in the world. Yeah. Oof. Don't cheat. Nothing good comes from cheating. Man, I'll yeah. call a judge. It'll be over. It'll be awkward. Well, you put a note in here that that you haven't mentioned uh, about what what you think these kinds of videos. I, you know, we watched a couple of weeks ago. We watched Vince nineteen, and we watched him applying 
analytics, um, like a uh, high level, uh, clearly he has a bachelor's or something in analytics or economics, um, you know, to create a new video genre. And that's like the, the analytical video about sales numbers and things like that. And I, I think that's going to be something in the future, just like we see, you know, analytics evolving rapidly in sports and politics. It seems like that's something that should move to gaming or the, you know, YouTube videos as well. But I, I do think this type of investigative, you know, it, it is, I mean, work it is going to journalism be a, almost. Yeah, this research investigative thing is going to become a YouTube genre that could potentially be, you know, usher in a, a new generation of YouTube videos that we haven't really seen before. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. Plus, there's an air of uh, there's an air of drama to it all as well, which certainly helps. Oh yeah, absolutely. YouTube loves drama. <laughs> what all is right. this? What is this shed? At- Have you ever heard of the shed? Of, okay, that, that, that concludes today's news. <laughs> have you ever heard of the shed at Dulwich? I have not. What the heck is this? I stumbled upon this, I think, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, I think I stumbled upon like a Vice ad on, on Facebook. For some reason, I see a lot of Facebook ads, and every now and again, I'll be like, oh man, I shouldn't click it, but I have to. It's so juicy. And there was a, and I think Vice is actually a legitimate news website or news-ish website, not, you know, fake news or whatever. Um, but it was about this fake restaurant called The Shed at Dulwich and how it reached number one, the number one restaurant in London on the website TripAdvisor. Oh, And so man. obviously after reading it, then I, you know, did research. This was reported by like the Washington Post. This is on, I think, Wikipedia. Like it, like this really happened. So this like bored guy decided to create a fake restaurant just to see, I guess, I don't know. I guess why do people do things? I wonder. So he made a fake restaurant. So it doesn't exist. It was called The Shed at Dulwich. And I think Dulwich was the road he lived on or the town he lived on. I don't know. Who knows? The British are nice people but strange um <laughs> this would never happen here it would rain and it would just we're just gonna watch thing. we're gonna watch the podcast feed subscribe count just crash like it turns out the entire audience we had like, oh crap it's so genius and it's something that could only happen today and on the internet so he creates a fake restaurant he buys a burner cell phone because he needed a phone number and he puts this restaurant, he submits it on TripAdvisor, and he creates a website, and it's got this picture of, it's not even food, it's like fake food items, like bleach tablets with honey on them to make it look like a dessert. Like, just bafflingly weird stuff like that, and like descriptions that are obviously fake, and there's no address on there, it says by appointment only, and then there's the phone number, so... He created this restaurant, TripAdvisor calls him, you know, to confirm it's a real restaurant and, you know, he passes the test and his fake restaurant goes on TripAdvisor and then he gets all of his friends to write fake reviews about this restaurant. So all of these five-star reviews happen over the course of a year and next thing you know, he had basically broken the TripAdvisor algorithm, and the shed at Dulwich for a few weeks was the number one restaurant in London on TripAdvisor.com. Oh, man. You know, I've, I've read some interesting articles about Yelp and these kinds of systems and how they 
they end up becoming um, almost like the mob in how uh, you can essentially you pay to have bad reviews removed is how is how a lot of it works. <laughs> so it's like a shakedown. Oh my um, gosh! And uh, it's <laughs> it's interesting to me that no one's tried to go the other way around with it and uh, and uh, fluff well, up. Didn't, didn't Amazon have this issue of like companies employing like poor Indian firms to write a bunch of fake reviews? Oh about yeah, they their still hard drives. There's and uh, headsets? oh yeah, there's uh, there's a plugin you can get for your browser that will scan the Amazon page that you're on and and uh, basically tell you whether whether or not there's uh, a large probability that they've they're using some sort of automatic or paid <laughs> An reviews. algorithm to for the algorithm and pretty much yeah but this is this is uh this is fascinating i mean it does you know all of these systems uh they all use non-human methods of determining what what to push up and what to push down and well, he was getting the his fake page on TripAdvisor, the restaurant page was getting like 90,000 hits a day and he was getting hundreds of phone calls for reservations. Um, so because somebody answered the phone, they all assumed it was real. He was getting calls from all around the world. Like, oh my God, we're going to London. We need a reservation at your restaurant. Oh, oh man. <laughs> it's it's like, it's, I wish there was more to read, but like, that's literally the whole story. Like yeah. it's just some guy was bored and he created a fake website and a phone number and then boom, <laughs> number one restaurant in London. You know, I just had a friend contact me totally. This is totally related, but, uh, he, he sent me, he was concerned about a friend that he'd been talking to on Facebook and he's like, you know, his, his grandfather passed away. And ever since then he's, he's not making any sense and I'm really worried about him. And I was, he sent me some of his texts or his, uh, instant messages on, on messenger. And I was like, dude, you're talking to a bot. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, no. and, and I'm like, well, look, and, and basically I, I tried to explain to him how it was working, but it was, it was clearly taking and sentences from different conversations and sort of reapplying them. Um, and so he'd been talking to this bot and, and didn't know it. Um, we're living in a strange time, man. Ah, uh, what a weird. We're gonna world. get replaced by bots. Seriously, you. I mean, you won't even know if you're talking to a person. Am I, I don't a person? You, right. Your Facebook page looks a little sketchy. Let's yeah, be honest. It's true. There's not. There's nothing. You have there. two friends, and there's no pictures of your kid. <laughs> and I don't even know who those people are. <laughs> <laughs> those are your robot friends. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Some sort of robot gathering. <laughs> but it is. It. It. It's such a simple. We make these companies make all of these complex systems and they're so easily fooled. And we talked about this at the top of the show about how easy it was to game YouTube in 2012 um, by copying the simple task of copying tags, copying a title and making a revealing thumbnail. That is literally all you needed to yeah. get millions of views a month. Yeah, they're like this huge, massive system is was defeated so easily because some engineer would it never dawned on a mouth. Someone could just copy these two pieces of info and break our system because they're way too logical to think about how someone would try to abuse it. Well, look at I mean, look at what's happening right now with the demonetization and and that's that's not even an algorithm anymore. You're getting into machine learning. And so mm -hmm. you're building, yeah, a, you're true. building a brain and you can't look inside and know how it thinks. 
you just have to look at the result and say, is this what we want? And, and there's still training in it and everything like that, but we're starting to build things that aren't even, you can't follow it line by line, like an algorithm and go, okay, that's what it does in this situation. That's what it doesn't. Eventually, you know, it's not going to be predictable how these systems work in theory, but, but it's, uh, it's also not going to be something that you can peek under the hood and go, okay, this is what's broken about it. Um, so there might be these periods of time in say YouTube's history where they have to, they're going to say, they're not going to say it. They probably wouldn't say it, but they'll re they're going to have to retrain the algorithm or not algorithm, but the machine learning and start it over or start something fresh. Um, and there's, there'll probably end up being some weirdness that goes along with I th that. I think they're, they're always, the answer is there always has to be a human element. I think so. There's, yeah, there's gotta be something tipping and then, and then you get into, there's all kinds of problems with, with, uh, you know, people will claim whether it's political favoritism or, um, you know, types of content or whatever it is that they're tipping the scales in, in, in a certain way. And, and I think there's some truth in that, but then again, it's the market that's ultimately leading a lot of this. Who's watching the ads, who's clicking on them. And that's where, I mean, you're even seeing it with the younger audience. So I think, I think it's interesting, but it is, it is a weird, we're going into a weird future where I, I say this a lot on my Twitter and I haven't really said it on the podcast, but I do honestly believe that people need to start putting money behind things again. And I, because I think that as we drive more towards ad driven revenue, um, we're seceding control of us, of the, of the systems to what what's uh what's good for the ads and not necessarily for ourselves and i think if we start putting our money behind these things you know patreon's an example but hopefully these these systems themselves will allow some way to to exchange money for for like you like a video tip the tip the creator or something along those lines so that we can start or if you're halfway through the video and you don't like it then stop watching it Right. Yeah. It goes with Facebook, you know, not saying that it's the people's fault because I would never blame the user for the problem with the system. Right. Um, if you've ever used Microsoft Outlook, you know, at your corporation, you realize that, okay, this is not, this is the worst, you know, program ever. And it's not the user's fault, but I, I try my best, especially on Facebook started on Facebook is everything I see on Facebook that I actually like to actually hit like and everything that is a waste of my time. I will click the dot, dot, dot and remove from feed to try and give the system information yeah. about what I actually care about. Yeah. My, my primary concern about just solely ad driven is, is that it's seems like it feels like it's a lot of the reactionary stuff that, tends to feed the system. Um, it really is. Uh, you know, I just had uh, another buddy send me a Logan Paul video and say, do you know Why? about this guy? And I'm like, and, and he was specifically <laughs> talking about, look at how ridiculous, like this guy's ridiculous and blah, blah, blah. And kind of gave me the whole spiel on it. And I'm like, well, dude, he won because you just sent me a link to one of his videos. You shared it. You right. messed up. You messed up the machine learning, man. Right. right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I pose this to people sometimes and, and it throws them for a loop, but it's like, would you pay for YouTube right now? Would you pay for to use Twitter? Would you pay to use Facebook? And and a lot of people, their answer is no. And so my answer, my, my reply is, well, why do you use them? Because they're free. And I think 
I think that's an interesting question and something that, you know, deserves a little bit of reflection. And I think that I really do think that if we can get to a point where we're expecting to pay for something that's not just Netflix online, that we'll start to see a tipping of the scales that is more the consumer speaking with with their money rather than with their eyes. Um, you know, everyone's going to look at the pretty girl across the street that that's i kind of feel like a lot of ad driven stuff is a lot like that um where and you even see it with like you're describing the thumbnails and and stuff like that um but i feel i just feel like it's a it's a change in people's attitudes uh when it comes to to transacting money online that that i think is it's going to take a while but i hope it happens because well, i think, think about i think things happen naturally too because think about the late 90s we had survivor in the real world and then in the beginning of the 2000s like all of primetime tv all of cable tv was just these cheap to produce reality tv shows and tv sucked for like 10 years and then finally people stopped watching it and then we got like this you know, eight year period that we're at the end of where there was this amazing TV yeah. where there was an endless amount of some insanely qual insane quality programming, you know, across cable, across network TV. And I, like I said, at the top of the show, I think, I think that some of these issues will just yeah organically work themselves out people yeah. will demand okay i mean i i don't i've never watched a logan paul video but i would imagine like if somebody watches it when they're 13 by the time they're 18 they've probably moved on right and, and are looking gonna, for something better he's not gonna be able to sell them t-shirts anymore and how does he <laughs> how does he grow with with the audience you know that's you know angry orange and and fred yeah. and, and you know <laughs> eventually he's going to have that problem of of yes. and look at pewdiepie i mean that guy um if you ignore all of the controversy he has to produce like three videos a day in order to keep it going um that's insane uh it's it's just it's I, I sure hope I, ho I hope you're right, and I think YouTube Red is is a step towards that. Um, it's like, do a, you? I only know one. I think I only maybe I know two people with YouTube Red. I'm not sure, but I feel like those users are more savvy and spend. You know what it is? I think there's a mindset. Okay, my ten dollars is going to get distributed to everybody I watch, so I'm only going to watch shows where i'd actually want them to get part of that ten dollars yeah i think and so they don't marathon that's the Logan thing right the, i don't the, know the yeah. minute you bring a monetary transaction <laughs> to it you, you the equation changes because now you're a consumer and and you're not just a set of eyeballs and so suddenly to you there's a value transaction going on is this worth yeah. my time and so the dynamic of what are you as a viewer suddenly completely changes um and that you know HBO God, right. finally when got you its pay head. for it. You care more, don't you? Damn yeah. it, damn it, Michael, or damn it, Matthew. Why do I say Michael? I don't know. Do, do I sound like a friend or something? But yeah, the, no. It's. Uh, I think it's interesting, but I think that it's it's. You know, you've got a whole generation that came from 
the the explosion of Napster and the idea of like not necessarily having to pay for anything. Well, and that's so I, funny too. Yeah, think, Napster, you'd get your sixty four megabits per second MP three that sounded like a telephone <laughs> recording. Exactly. But and then and care. then you it moved on to you know for the longest time YouTube wasn't on the up and up and would allow all kinds of uh, copyrighted stuff on there and would no questions asked. You know they wouldn't take it down or anything. And once they got big enough and enough uh, lawyers came flying overhead then they then they started to lock down on it um and so I, I just i do hope that that happens because i think it changes the dynamic a lot and and i could i you know i can dream that m- maybe one day there'll be a social n- media network that that people are willing to pay for and imagine imagine what that would be like and what that would discourage if it was something where there was even a, a, a small transaction of money in order to to use that service what you would not want to see anymore as a result of that and how you could speak with, with, uh, with withdrawing the money. So part of, part of my nihilistic sort of anarchist part of my brain kind of wants to add revenue to completely disappear so that we have to switch to sort of monetary transactions. But I know that that won't happen, but, but maybe as the money starts to siphon away a little bit that maybe YouTube will push for, for a red a little bit more and, uh, explain the value proposition better. Because right now I think it's hard for people to understand what what's the point. I, I don't understand YouTube Red. Yeah. I don't. Well, you know, at the same time, I don't understand who gets my Netflix dollars either. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, man, we there's it's you know our our episodes. There's always a theme. I feel like because now I'm about to jump into talking about AI. And uh, what, what's going on? <laughs> what is going on? So you are programming a Pac-Man clone on Game Maker. Is that what's going on? That is what's going on. And so I picked up uh, a good article that was written by uh, somebody, um, Patrick, I can't, man, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm going to look it up real quick. The Pac-Man Dossier. And this is uh, was published on uh, Gama Sutra a long time ago. Um, Jamie Pittman. Speaking of a good, speaking of good online content. Yeah. So this sutra was awesome. Yeah. So this was written, I I can't tell, uh, quite some time ago. And when I say that, it was probably like 20, 2007 or something like that. Um, but this break, this thing breaks down all of the, uh, the AI behaviors, um, and basically everything about the original, um, Pac-Man. And there's even a quote from Billy Mitchell, champion Pac-Man player. It says here, uh, Did he do that live or was that on name too? <laughs> I, I don't know. But, um, so I wanted to break down, I've, I've written some good notes, so there's not so many ums and uhs as I explain the behavior, um, some of the complex complexities of uh, Pac-Man. Uh, that Let's were, bank up a bit. So over yeah. the last two weeks, you, you got, or, well, where we left off, you had the Pac-Man board working, Pac-Man controlled correctly, and now you needed to program the behavior for the four ghosts. Yeah, I so I had the pathfinding of the ghosts down. Essentially, I could give them any point on the board and say, with your best effort, try to get to this this spot. And so they would figure out what way to turn and everything like that to try to get to that XY coordinate. And I knew I needed to do it that way because of how I had read that, that they hadn't... Um, done the AI in the first place. So I knew that once I told the ghosts go here, that after that it was okay. Now, if this is this, then go here, go here, go here, tell them exactly where to go. Um, based off of, uh, what the player was doing and what, what other ghosts were doing as well. And so that's, that's where I last left it. And so it's been two weeks and, and I've made, 
So I've got the ghosts using their behavior. I've also got the fright mode working where you eat a power pellet and they start running away and all of that's down and, and squared away. But yeah, I wanted to just go down the four ghosts and, and explain what it is that they're, uh, how, how they're programmed and how beautifully simplistic a lot of it is. Um, in so Pac-Man has four, four ghosts. ghosts. Yeah. Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde. Yeah. So the first thing to know, just off the bat, um, yes. is that the ghosts do not reverse directions. The only time they do is when they're switching. There's a chase mode and a scatter mode. In, yeah. ch- in chase mode, they're pursuing you, the player. In scatter mode, they go back to their four corners. They have four determined corners. And no way, that's where they go? Yeah, they're attempting huh. to, but the, the timer usually counts down so fast that they never actually make it back. And then they start heading back in on you. Um, and so so as you progress through Pac-Man, the scatter mode gets shorter and shorter and shorter, and eventually it's just chase. And the same with the power pellets. Eventually the time that's allowed for the power pellets goes to nothing, and you eat a power pellet and it does nothing. Like, that's when you're at the the max, you know, uh, in in-game. Um, so you'll notice the direction shift will advanced players will notice this direction shift happening. You'll catch, you'll catch it and you'll start to know, oh, they're all going to change directions. That's what's happened. And you'll, cause they all just all at the same time, click, they're all moving in a different direction. And so, you know, you kind of, there, there's an opening, they're not going after me, but even more advanced players will know exactly when that's going to happen based off of, uh, the number of pellets that they even eaten and how far uh, the they're counting in their head, basically how far into the match they are and what match it is. And they know exactly when these, these events are going to happen. But anyways, on to the ghost AI. So what I'm about to describe has to do with the decisions that the ghosts make. And they make these decisions on what direction they're going to go every time they reach an, an intersect, an intersecting point. This is a point in the map where they're not just continuing to go forward. So what I mean is since they don't reverse directions, if they come to a wall and and the only other direction is down, they'll just go down. These decisions are made at those break breaking points where there's at least two or more directions that they can head in. And so already, if you've played Pac-Man, this is probably helping you go, man, I can probably already be a better Pac-Man player because I know that there's certain behaviors that I can kind of expect. Um, and this all leads to a central problem that the original Pac-Man had, which I'll get to at the end here. So Blinky's the red guy, and his behavior is always to pursue whatever Pac-Man's current location is. So every time Pinky is making a decision on where am I going to go, he's basing that off of um, what location Pac-Man is at. So he's always chasing you. Um, Pinky, the pink guy, obviously, um, he's always trying to get ahead of you. So he's always aiming whatever direction you're going towards four spaces in front of that. When I say spaces, I mean, if you divide the, the board up into a grid, um, that that would be the how many spaces uh, forward that he would be trying to get to you. This is where it gets really interesting. And this is where I realize there's a lot of brilliance going on here because the first two ghosts you can program in two lines. Um, it's not it's not much at all. Right. Ink, Inky is where like the magic really comes in because he's 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 the most complicated one. He's the teal ghost, and so if you imagine a, a circle radius being from the center of Pac-Man to wherever Blinky is on the stage, and imagine that Inky is always being told to go to the the opposite side of that location from Blinky, 
So that means that he's always trying to go 180 degrees from that circle, wherever Blinky is, to the opposite side. And this or, is what... Th- so in a way, he's trying to put Pac-Man between himself and, and, and Blinky. Blinky. Yeah, so he's always... he cre- It creates this flanking effect um, that's happening. So he's always trying to get on the outside of you, basically. Um, and that's like, from a problem-solving standpoint, that is... So I just realized like kind of the brilliance behind that because you create this effect of intelligence there. Um, and all it is, is just some simple logic and a, a, a vector essentially just saying draw, you know, essentially in the computer's head, draw a line across here and try to get over there basically. And, but, but what's really happening at, to the player's perspective is this like this behavior of, you know, trying to flank you, which is really amazing and Clyde is the most interesting one to me because he's programmed to actually stay away from you. Uh, his behavior is if he ever gets closer than four, four spaces from you, and I'm saying when I say spaces, this is as the crow flies. So if you imagine a straight line from Pac-Man to, to the ghost location, uh, that's four spaces. So if he's four, closer, uh, closer than four spaces to Pac-Man, he's going to retreat. And he always retreats to the bottom left corner, which makes, in the game makes traveling if you're in the top right and you decide i'm going to start traveling down to the bottom left that's going to be one of the hardest things to do at that moment because clyde is always going to be in front of you now and and so it it just it has this effect of making traversing the board um top left uh actually one of the most dangerous things you can do because clyde will always retreat to the bottom left corner and so worst of all is if he's already in the bottom left corner and you decide to go down there he's just going to circle it and and so you're automatically creating a situation where he's going to he's going to possibly be part of a your doom basically but so that's that's it that's it for the original pac-man the problem that this whole setup created and i it was unexpected obviously because they printed all the boards and and sent the game out was that the behaviors are set there's there's no randomness to this at all except for when they're in fright mode, so when you have a power pellet. But beyond that, the behavior is exactly set in. And so what ends up happening is players figure out on certain boards for Pac-Man that there are spots that because of all these complexities in this in this this kind of complex behavior that comes out of these simple systems, that it goes, there's literally dead zones on the map. So there are parts on the Pac-Man board that you can go to that a ghost is never going to hit you at. And so you can, you can go for a pee break if you want to and, <laughs> and come back and, and the ghosts will just be, they can't find you basically is what, what you would look like to you. Um, Miss Pac-Man on the other hand, when, when the MIT guys started making the ROM hacks and we're making, uh, uh, I always forget the name of the character Otto. That was the name of, was going to be the name of it. Um, they realized these, uh, these problems. And so they actually added, um, some solutions that involved, some slightly more randomness to the decisions that the ghosts would make. And I believe they also kind of tick their AI around a bit so that you couldn't quite expect each ghost to, to behave the same way. And one thing in particular that they did, um, that was a last minute bug fix because there were a couple of dead zones, even with their, their solutions, uh, was that, that once Blinky moves from a, um, he goes to the chase mode and then he goes to the scatter mode and then he goes back to chase and stays in chase unless he gets eaten. Um, and so that, that creates an always a constant pursuit from, from Blinky. Um, but anyways, 
that's that's a breakdown of the the ghost AI. And what I I when I was doing this, I just couldn't help but appreciate the beauty and the simplicity of it all. Because when I was imagining how to solve this problem, I was I was going down this complex logic tree of a bunch of if this then that's then if this then that's and and it's like inky, far more elegant right inky's solution is so simple um but the amount the amount of um dynamic kind of behavior that it that comes out of it is is really amazing and i suspect that a lot of this stuff is how even in 3d games some of these problems are solved yeah um but anyways, well, if you ever played Halo, it's probably not much more advanced than Pac-Man. <laughs> That's true. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, the Do AI. Do you remember how, like how useless your um your your squad mates were in Halo? Oh yeah, They'd, they would basically just go and die, and you'd be alone in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> anything anything that seemed remotely um organic was scripted even where you're like oh yeah. wow this is amazing and it's like oh no this is a scripted event coming up oh he's dead <laughs> just like that he couldn't figure it out blinky would have had this <laughs> yeah but so do you know where you where do you go from here if you've got the board you've got the obviously the basic mechanics working and now the ai what next so um, funnily enough, the last things I've got to take care of is getting collisions down from the ghost. I don't have that at all. It's really simple. Okay. Um, but I don't have like, you don't die yet and you can't consume the okay. ghost yet. So the ghosts can chase you and hit you, but they can't kill you. Exactly. And, and the fright mode works. They switch over to their little blue, little scared faces and all, and all that stuff's there and, and they can pass through the tunnels. And so the, the little things that I have to do is I, they have to go about uh, 40% their speed when they go through the tunnel so i have to put some hot spots on the map that that makes their speed slow down when they decide to go through a tunnel um i've got to get that that collision going i've got to handle when you eat a ghost there's actually and from an animation perspective there's a lot going on because the screen all the characters freeze but the eyeballs make their way back to the room oh yeah um and so there's there's a little bit of uh uh, some logic that I have to kind of apply to the way that the animations are are going to act in in that instance. And the last thing really is to just get them in their room because right now I have them starting out on the board already. But there is a um, a pattern to how they leave the room based on the number of pellets you've eaten and some some other things. And so uh, having them stuck in that room and 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 getting that down is going to take a, a a little bit. Um, but th- no doubt, I, I think in the next two weeks, I will have the game done and all the, I say I'm making Pac-Man, but I'm really making Miss Pac-Man, um, <laughs> uh, because I just prefer the board for Miss Pac-Man better. Um, yeah. and so I'll have all the stages done and, uh, I'm not going to do the cutscenes or anything like that. Just, you know, just for, for this experiment, I guess. I, I could leave it at there, and I'm wondering if any of the listeners have any thoughts on what's the next game I should clone after this. Um, I'm kind of thinking something a bit more puzzly, like I was thinking of Tetris, um, and then maybe uh, Breakout seems like it would be quick and fun. Um, could do like some more heavy, heavy effects-driven stuff on Breakout. Breakout's a really simple game. Um, I always like Centipede. That was that was another kind of simple one. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to come up with a with the next one. But while that's while the the way that I we're planning on doing this is I finish the game, then I kind of kick it back to my wife and say, "Hey mate, let's make it look different and come up with some different like game mechanics and stuff like that." And so she kind of is going to kind of take over on the creative side and come up with some stuff. 
and then I'll start working on something else that we can try to um, basically flip. <laughs> the idea is Frogger. to create. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Thank Frogger. you. Yeah, a good <laughs> I'm trying to think what are my favorite Atari games and there's a lot of neat shooters but they're all kind of the same and I'm like oh yeah Frogger yeah Frogger's a good one I always liked uh, that Chopper game too I used to play on the Apple II the Choplifter or whatever it was called uh, but that's I kinda, had Choplifter on the Master System yeah that was a good I, I don't know why I just love that um, that was really simple though but yeah, I'll come up with it, and uh, if anyone wants to tweet at me... You'll make a game, and then Billy Mitchell will cheat for the high score. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so I am going to throw this out. Once the game's done, you know, next episode, most likely, I'll be like, hey, check out my Twitter. I'll have a link to it, and nice. just people can download it, and then I can get sued by Namco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at least I'll be in the news. <laughs> There you go. And then I'll just keep doing just it. Just make sure you mention the podcast during your interviews, please. Right. As, as I'm being thrown in the paddy wagon, I'll be yes. sure to get that Implantgames.com. <laughs> Check out the podcast. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. So, so I asked you, made you, or you chose to watch The Rockafire Explosion, which is on Vimeo, $3 to rent or $10 to buy. And again, if you buy a movie off Vimeo, you actually can just download a DRM-free copy of the movie, which is kind of amazing. So I may or may not have sent this to you, and you may, you know, you watched it. What did you think of The Rockafire Explosion? Um, Well, I left it feeling... so i mean it's it's to me i i messaged you and then you're like save it for the podcast i said okay okay um (laughs) i said that it left me feeling like uh, you know it had that nostalgia but then it also had melancholy and um i don't think that the people that it was covering felt that melancholy necessarily but i did because there's a little bit, you know, of me in some of these and some of the, the characters, the, the people in it. <laughs> and, you know, these are, I mean, I guess we, we kind of have to set up a little bit of, of what this is. Um, but, I mean, these are guys that are fans and the creator it is one of the people that are followed in this documentary of a rockabilly uh, explosion, which was Rockafire, Rockafire, yeah, Rockabilly. Sorry, Rockafire explosion, which were uh, these animatronic um, animals that would sing and dance, uh, or not really dance, but they would yeah, sing and they would dance at Showbiz Pizza. Yeah, at Showbiz Pizza, right? And this was before it became Chuck E. Cheese's, which is kind of the down, one of the down points when things go south for the uh, for the creator um, of this, and and they just. You know, they have the one of the main uh, people that they follow has the animatronics and knows how to reprogram them and has some neighborhood kids come and have their birthday parties at his house. And he, he lets them, you know, lets the animatronics go to town. And and it's uh, it's about people that uh, just remember this this uh, moment in time, really, of uh, their childhood in, in this specific place, in this specific time. and. Uh, you know, they, the, the creator in some ways, I feel like he has a hard time letting go of it. Obviously he's got this building that's just sitting there costing him money. It's, and there's no yeah. way that's, you know, just sitting there for free <laughs> in Florida in my, yeah, Miami or um, yeah. Orlando, somewhere in there. And you know, he's got 
at the the part that really hit me was when he was talking about how he would left the 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 workstations the way that they were when uh, yeah so this company had hundreds of employees and then showbiz pizza basically i believe got bought out by chuck e cheese and they stopped ordering the rock of fire explosion animatronics show um so the guy that made them they weren't made by showbiz pizza they were made by you know an independent company so all of a sudden he had no sales and over the years he had to slowly or rapidly lay off people and when they left their job for the last day, he never picked anything up. So, like, there's hundreds of workstations that haven't moved in two or three decades. Yeah. And, you know, the the, the writing was on the wall a little bit before the Chuck E. Cheese pickup when, when the company was basically hemorrhaging money and they, they were looking at where and the... Oh, it's these animatronic shows. Right. It's, it's a very expensive... Uh, and it is partly the part of the fault, uh, as as far as I could tell, just from a business perspective, the original owner had them at a production pace of 40 unique shows a quarter. It's every three months. It's about 12 or something shows they'd program for these robots and deliver to these stores. Um, Man, so every uh, new store had to get a new yeah show. Yeah. And it's that is... A massive uh uh undertaking from from an expense perspective um even and so that you know it's it's kind of a bummer it's a bummer that he didn't think to to expand his company outside of just the the circle of the restaurants and maybe try oh to find, yeah it's you know he he, he could have uh diversified like mad it. cats and the uh the rock band live or whatever fiasco that we yeah. talked about he was a he was all the a, eggs in one basket. Yeah, and he wasn't a subsidiary or anything, so there was no way to fold the employees into the to the comp the other company when it was shutting down. So these people just lost their job. Um, but yeah, it's really bittersweet, and and it makes you know we watched uh you we talked about um American movie, and there's you know there's a little bit of this taste of like self reflectiveness that that this movie yeah. brought to me, just like uh, American movie did, where it's like, is this there's an almost under yeah there's an undertone of sadness almost or like you almost feel sorry for the people yeah well and that's the root that's one of the root word nostalgia the the root of that word is is uh i think sadness is in there somewhere if i remember correctly and you know you look back on certain things in your past and and you see them with with uh it's sad because you you kind of yearn for what that was and and th- these guys especially were, were feeling that pretty pretty bad and i i had said to you you know playing games and and collecting games so is this just the same Do thing people look at us and think oh my god that's so sad right and i i feel like the thing and this should be a metric for anyone listening listening i i think is once it becomes collecting only and you're not playing these things anymore that's when you really need to take a step back and go you know, you're, you're just doing this because you're being, your li- your present point in time in your life is being dictated by the memories of your past. As, if you're not playing these That's, games. There you go. I was like, where are you going? Oh, I see. <laughs> right. So now you're just doing it because, uh, you know, maybe you're still trapped because you've gotten into this collector's habit and, and you're, you just, you just need to complete the collection. And, and that's one thing, but um, if you're picking up these games and you're not taking the time to play them, maybe that's when you need to take a stop, step back and reflect on what you're doing and go, okay, 
I need to remember to enjoy these things um, because you're only on this earth for a given amount of time. And so that was that was the part where I felt like these guys kind of maybe blended into a little bit too much of the living, not not really so much living in the in the present. I felt like what was funny was the guy who owned the company fell in that trap more. Then, he was then the yeah. person who then the person who was buying these things because he loved them as a kid. He he that guy was making new YouTube videos with them and putting modern music in it and just having a blast with them, um, almost as like his own personal toys to play with, you know that kind of thing. But but the owner that was really interesting to watch um, him just kind of talk about you know it felt like without his invention or without his show he almost it seemed like he didn't feel like he had a purpose in life yeah well and think about think about the the joy that that you've brought jobs to almost 200 people and the joy to kids yeah well all of that the the connection thing he'll be ever he'll there's nothing he could ever do to bring that level of joy to an entire population ever again yeah, you'll you'll definitely want that back, and you know it's a moment in time, and you created it, and you created all these memories for people. But yeah, I can see how hard that could be, because unlike say film, where it's sort of encapsulated and and lives on as this yeah, recorded the rock medium, of fire explosion won't live on forever. No, especially you know the the moment when he was talking about the rights and everything, and he made the decision to keep them. He he's the he's the one that's responsible for that memory at that point and saying, I want this to continue on. And in a way, I hate to say it, but you know, in a way that decision might not have been the right one because under, under his hands, it it has died away. And, um, it's kind of a bummer. Um, at least, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is a fascinating 71 minutes of film. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely is really, it's, it's interesting for sure. It's, it's, I can't help but be reflective on it. And I always get, you know, that's my favorite thing about a documentary is when it makes me kind of look on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I definitely appreciated that one for, for this, for sure. But very, very, a lot of melancholy. <laughs> it's hard to talk about because like it just, you know, we talk a little bit about culture, about you being, you know, the confused by rain (laughs) (laughs) and where I would not, that situation, that particular situation would not happen in Wisconsin, you know, because it rains here all the time. And then like something that was so baffling to me, and I know it's stupid is just like, his, I, I remember it vividly. His sink had nothing in it, but dirty glasses and every glass he used to drink Mountain Dew and something about that image just like struck me so hard and I don't know why, but I can't that of everything in the movie, that's what I remember the most. Yeah. Because I don't yeah, I don't know anybody here that drinks well, Mountain Dew out of a glass, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's or that's the that human much, angle, right? Yeah. That's that's where it really those moments in, in a documentary and then there's documentaries that cinema verte is what they call it when when it's a documentary and there's no talking heads there's no moment where they sit them down and they interview them at at a desk or whatever and 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 talk to them about what it is that they're covering and they just have the events unfold 
um, some of those can be really boring, but a lot of the good ones, you know, do a mix of the two and those moments of like real life, because even the documentary sort of has an objective to tell a story a certain way mm-hmm. and a narrative slant and, and things like that. And they're trying to, they're trying to create a story yeah. some, out of something, you know, and, um, they definitely found an angle with, with, the uh, the owner of the, the company that made the, the animatronics, um, but you get that moment of real life and suddenly that's a relatable figure and and it's because of how they drink, you know, something or wh- whatever. What they drink, how yeah. they drink it. Yeah. I, mean, I don't, that, I don't, th- American do you movie, remember I, that moment in there? Yeah, I do. An American movie had almost the same moment and it was a weird time capsule in a way too because they're grabbing a soda for his uh, grandpa and talking about it's a new soda from Coke. It's called Surge. <laughs> and it always stuck with me because it's like I remember that and but it's also this moment where there's a new soda and that happens all the time with products and things like that where there's like the new thing that you get excited about and um and then it becomes novelty and it it's just kind of it's very relatable it's funny to laugh at but then you got to realize that you're doing that I'm not trying to laugh, but well, well, no, but it is, it is, you know, it's, that's, uh, that's part of it. And it's, it's, it's hard to catch it when it's happening in present day, but there's, it's happening every day. There's just something, yeah, there's something very human. There's something, there's like, there's happiness, there's sadness, and there's something very human about the movie from beginning to end. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do, you know, it's funny to say that a movie about these animatronics that played at a pizza restaurant for kids in the 80s it has a study on the human condition, but I definitely feel like that's in there where you can't help but, but think about, about those kinds of things. And, you know, what is there, am I falling into the trap of, of, uh, thinking about certain things too much in the, in the past and whatnot. And, uh, uh, it's just, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. My closet is filled. Yeah. With the same thing, basically. That's scary. Yeah. All right. Check it out. The Rock of Fire Explosion. It's on Vimeo. You could rent it for $3 or buy it for 10 And I highly recommend it as just an interesting historical note on 80s pop culture or just a really solid documentary. Speaking of solid documentaries. Let's move on to our real streaming picks. I watched the history of Tetris by the gaming historian Norman Caruso on the YouTube and I thought this was by far the best film he had ever made and released on YouTube. I agree. Something that I when it was happening and it was like right when he had this sort of like opening credits and then a little bit after that it feels like he's really figured out his pace um and and his delivery on certain things and and the way that he's doing that now is like really good and it it seems like he has his own voice um he, with this stuff you know it's so funny cuz i mentioned at the top of the show that people should not make videos like they did in 2008 and i couldn't think of a better example of somebody that was making videos in 2008 as making them in 2018 and the growth is astounding. Like this could be on the Discovery Channel. This could be on HBO. This yeah. was a lovely film from beginning to end. Yeah, I honestly think I would not be surprised if he finds a home on PBS or something like that. Yeah, 
Um, is, you're right. His narration is absolutely perfect. His tone, mannerisms, the script. I thought the um, the 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 hand drawn. Um, yeah, cutscene type of title card type of things were amazing. I thought he told a really complicated story about copyrights and multiple owners about as good as you could while making it clear, but still giving a little bit of drama to the whole story. Yeah. I thought it ended perfectly talking about what happened to the creator of Tetris. It it touches a bit about capitalism versus communism in the 80s. It just, it hit all of these wonderful notes and was so well put together. It was amazing. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, Did I steal it all? Is there anything left to say? (laughs) Not really. Just go watch it if you haven't already. If you're not subscribed to his channel either, I mean, he's his level of production and, and it's, it's always a bent on, on history. And I'm still bummed that he had to take down his, um, the uh, Seattle, one. yeah, the Seattle, uh, um, one. Well, yeah. When, yeah. Nintendo owning the Seattle Mariners, right? Right. The Seattle, is it, I don't know baseball. Is it Marlins? What's, what's in Seattle? <laughs> I think it's the Mariners. Yeah. And it, it was a great episode and I was lucky enough to catch it, but I think it's still down as a result. I watched of- it too. Yeah. Yeah. Before it got taken down. It was clear. I mean, it was another long one, you know, relatively speaking in in terms of the the length of his videos. And it's just a bummer. All that work went into that thing and and it's gone now, you know? He'll find a way. He'll find a way. It was funny. I believe, and again, maybe I'm mixing things up, but I, I watched the Not So, or I listened to the Not So Common podcast with Pat Contry. And he did one with Gerard Khalil, the completionist. And Gerard talked about, you know, life after YouTube. And he wants to get into making more documentarian, you know, documentary style films, you know, and move on from, you know, video game reviews. He doesn't want to be doing the same thing when he's 40 or 50 and kind of moving on. And I, I look at, you know, this video in particular, and it's like, this guy already did it. He just, he released something that is, you know, good enough for network television in my estimation. And he, (laughs) it's amazing. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, I don't know, man. It's, it's, uh, he's got a good thumb on it. Like, as far like on the pulse of like the the way that you do a documentary i mean he's got the ken burns style down as far it's as like you watch the history channel growing up instead <laughs> of ninja turtles exactly there's uh, i don't know how much in here was actually new i remember watching a tetris documentary on youtube i don't remember if it was made by the bbc or something along those lines but it was very similar information so i don't think i gained too much insight on the actual history of tetris yeah um i had seen a documentary was, as well and what i recall was that had ended with you know kind of the sad note of uh the creator um at that point in time he still hadn't been receiving royalties mm-hmm. um so that that was new to me i didn't realize that he would finally gotten gotten that worked out to a point where he was actually going to be able to make money off of his creation um well, it's clear we're not going to get to the cheap game segment. So I'm going to ask you one more question. We'll just keep talking about the movies while we have time. Do you, in your estimation, think the Game Boy would have been as big a success without Tetris as a pack-in? Hmm. I, I don't know. 
<laughs> I honestly don't know. I don't think I don't think it would have because it's the ultimate killer app. Well, I'm trying to remember the timeline of I think it was 89 is when the Game Boy came out. Right. And so the Tengen Tetris had already come out on the NES. Mhm. Um and so I could easily see a compromise of a parent being like, "Well, I, I want to be able to play." Um, so I'm just going to give Billy the, or the other way around, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get the Game Boy so that I can, I'll be able to play or something. Um, but it's sort of the ultimate handheld game. Like what other, what other game could you launch? Like this idea of this handheld system that's not just a game and watch that also has cartridges and needs batteries and all this stuff. Um, playable by all ages. Right. Men, women. Yeah. And old, young. Yeah, it's the perfect puke in the back of the seat of the car game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you find out little Billy's car sick. Oh man. Um yeah, I, I don't think it I don't think so. I I think that that had a huge huge part of it. Cuz what was it like tennis was the other thing that, like Um well, was, I think it was Super Mario Land which I don't think is a system seller. I'm sure there's lots of nostalgia for it, but I mean I don't imagine, you know, soccer moms playing Super Mario Land in 1989. Like I could imagine I'm playing Tetris. That's for sure. Yeah. So I did a quick search on um, game prices for the NES, uh, the two versions of uh, the the first Tetris game for the NES and the Game Boy. And I thought if anyone's going to have a YouTube effect or, you know, so-called YouTube effect on, on this, it would be this video. Because, I mean, Norm's, he's sharing... Uh, you know, big news outlets are linking to his, his video and he's got, last I checked, it was over 250,000 views. And so far I can't see any, anything that that's indicating too much that, that it's necessarily having an effect on, on prices. I see a little bit of an upswing swing on complete and box prices, but that's not to say the, the thing about the, uh, price trading website is that it doesn't show volume. Yeah. So it's possible there's an increase in volume of sales, but not necessarily price as far as the effect of this video has. Um, but I thought it would be, that would be an interesting thing. Yeah, we'll have to keep track of that more often if, yeah, because we always, I think we kind of put our foot in the sand and said that there really probably isn't a strong correlation between a YouTube video by a popular YouTube video uh, and game price. I know I screwed up the words there, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That it's just as likely the opposite happens. A big YouTuber will cover an expensive game um, because it's expensive and not so much, you know, he didn't make it expensive or she didn't make it expensive. But yeah, clearly looking at the chart, yeah, there's not really much change after 225,000 views. Yeah. We'll have to start watching Watch Mojo and see what millions of views do. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, man. What is your streaming pick? Uh, my streaming pick is a little hard to watch. It's called The Last Game oh. I Make Before I Die. And it's a game, a GDC conference uh, postmortem. And when uh, gaming postmortems are, they refer to once a game is completed and they talk about. Uh, what went right, what went wrong, even though generally a postmortem is an autopsy uh, that is performed on a dead person. Uh, that's the name that they've decided to use to describe this kind of video. Um, and it's it's really what what I didn't even know about it when I watched it is that the, the game itself that is covered in it's called Crashlands 
and it's a game maker game, which I didn't know at the time when I was watching the video, but it's this really kind of inspirational, um, hour and a half talk that, that this, uh, gentleman gives and he's talking about getting diagnosed with cancer and he's got this game company with his brother and they've been just making runners and they decide I don't want to die and have the last game that I make be another runner and um so they kind of sit down and make a plan and it's about the ups and downs of dealing with uh being treated with cancer and um false negatives that he has to deal with and, and a lot of other ups and downs involved in it uh while trying to make this game and uh, uh just it's just really kind of inspirational story and and you know i mentioned uh, a few minutes ago when talking about the documentary about, you know, you've only got so much time on, on this planet. And, uh, this guy just was going through that reminder, you know, this entire process of, of making this game. And it's really, you know, it's a really good head check of where are you at right now? And, you know, are you doing what you want to be doing with, with, uh, with your life, you know? Yeah. And so if you need, if you feel like you need something like that, um, then I definitely recommend watching it. Uh, so that is the last game I make before I die and the history of Tetris, both of them on the free platform YouTube. I will have to check that out. Cool. I think we're out of time. Yeah. yeah. This was a quite a, I knew it was either going to be short or long. Oh, so I, I guess it's you and I, I it's long for the <laughs> listeners. I keep telling Chris after the end of each episode, I'm going to cut this up and put this on little, little segments on, uh, on uh, Twitter and, and Facebook, you know, little two, two minute videos. And I can't, I'm having such a hard time condensing any of this into something <laughs> that works in a two minute, a two minute time thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> I hear you. I but don't it, know. You could put your rain story on there. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. I'll, uh, I'll pants myself in front of everybody. This will be your legacy. <laughs> that legacy coins. will not be your Pac-Man clone, your children, your wife. Your so, legacy will be that time you confuse rain hitting leaves and Sonic and mice. coins. Or that, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh man. So that is going to do it for today's episode. If you'd like to leave a comment or question, hit us up on Twitter. I am at implant. He is at cricket K-R-I-K-I-T and use hashtag IPG ipg podcast if you like the episode please be sure to rate and comment on itunes or your platform of choice and until next time guys have a great two weeks see you